on a mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cynonauts! Hey, I'm Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to the first episode of Synonauts Exploring the Criterion. Thanks to everyone who is joining in on our first mission as we start our journey in film. Um, Each week, Boom, Catcher, and I will choose a movie from the Criterion or Criterion channel to watch and discuss. And to mix it up, there will even be episodes where one of us will choose a movie not in the Criterion collection. And we will use that episode to debate whether or not it should be added. I'm very much looking forward to those. Uh, like I said before, I'm Ian and my fellow Synonauts joining me on this journey are Catcher and Boom. Catcher, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing splendid today. I'm very excited. It is going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Boom, how about you? I'm doing great. I'm just super stoked to be here. I'm very excited. Yes, I think the three of us are going to have a lot of fun uh, making this podcast. So in addition to the first episode, uh, we have already launched our social media handles. So give us a follow there. We're at Synonauts on Instagram and Twitter. If you like this first episode and want to talk to us about it, or you want to talk about the movie we're talking about on our next episode, uh, which will be revealed at the end of this one, you can shoot us an email or leave us a voicemail at synonautspod at gmail.com. So right now, typically we'd go into some catch up, see what movies we were watching, music we were listening to, books we were reading, but we figured for the first episode, it makes more sense to introduce ourselves, give ourselves a little background on who uh, your synonauts are taking us on this journey through film and movies. Uh, let's start with uh, uh, Boom. What's your relationship with movies? Like when you first fall in love with movies... What are your earliest memories with them? That sort of stuff. Yeah, um, I'd say I started getting really getting into movies around the age of 12. Um, My parents split up when I was like five. And from there, I kind of like developed some behavioral issues (laughs) and and struggles (laughs) with mental health, which is kind of a lot to process when you're young. You're just not emotionally mature enough to like recognize what's going on. Um, cause you're just mm-hmm. a kid, but yeah, I was really struggling in school. Like I hated school. School hated me. Like I remember one year in particular, like I had the same teacher, uh, two years in a row. And I just remember the look on his face <laughs> <laughs> on the first day of school. He was just like you again. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> yeah. But so that's, uh, kind of where it all begins. So anyways, um, on weekends, my mom would take us, she, my sister and I to, uh, the video store and we would like rent kind of like, we'd pick one of our like fun girly movies. And then my mom would pick something for herself to watch when we were sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And so I kind of got into this habit of like, sneakily watching the movies that she would pick for herself. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I think like the first movie that really gripped me was like the Truman Show. I was like 11 Mm. and for some Mm -hmm. reason I just felt like really connected to it. I felt like I really got it. It seemed so cool and different. Um, And it made me feel smart, which wasn't something I like... Considering my struggles in school, it just wasn't really something I felt uh, very often. So, yeah. So then I just start thinking I'm hot shit and I'm watching these like grown up movies (laughs) while 
like while simultaneously like being a kid as well. So I'm like stoked for Agent Cody Banks, but I'm also equally as stoked for Mystic River and like whatever's on the ballot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mystic River, that's amazing. (laughs) So I like discovered Spike Lee. Um, I think the first Spike movie I saw was He Got Game and then Bamboozled, which really Mm -hmm. changed my life uh, at that Mm. age. And yeah, that's a, that's a wild movie to get like that's exactly even for Spike, at that's that age. There, like my ability great. to process and understand like my own blackness was quite small, especially being biracial, especially being mm-hmm. raised by a white woman. Um, so that movie kind of just like blew my mm-hmm. world wide open. Um, and from there, I just get obsessed with like Blade and weird shit like Strange Days. Um, and yeah, I was like trying to connect to my Jamaican culture, um, watching movies like Dance Hall Queen and Shatas. Um, yeah. And I'm in Toronto. So I started working at a young age. Uh, I would save my money. I get tickets to TIFF nice. and go by myself and I loved it. Yeah. So movies for me were just like a big part of like my own kind of road to education and self-discovery also like catharsis. Um, and not much has changed. So, yeah. Nice. That is a beautiful intro. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, since we are going to be going through the Criterion Collection and things on the Criterion channel, do you have any particular movies, uh, whether or not you've seen them or not, that you're stoked to to eventually get to here on Cinemons? Yeah. So with everything I just said, I was when I was browsing the criterion collection list i think i've only seen maybe 10 of them perfect um on the list so i'm very excited to kind of explore and find new things but the standouts to me they're all movies i've seen would probably be like dazed and confused Mm -hmm. night of the living dead and then i was talking about bamboozled bamboozled Mm -hmm. is on that list um so i was happy to discover that yeah we need to get more spike lee on the criterion collection just in general Abs- absolutely. All, all of his stuff should probably be, most of his stuff should be on yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. Catcher, how about you? What's your relationship with movies? Um, it actually kind of started quite young for me. Uh, my dad actually used to work for IMAX back, back in the day. Um, yeah, I'm from Toronto. They're a Canadian company. Um, and back when they were really just pushing their own theaters and they were really make, they were making their own documentaries. My dad used to work for them uh, building projectors. So uh, they would have these uh, really cool showings at this place called the Cinesphere, which is like an IMAX theater in Toronto. It's like mm-hmm. a giant golf ball. And it's, it's cool. like, it's right on the water too. Yeah. So it, like it's an, on a little Island. You have to like cross a bridge to get to it. And then <laughs> it's just this giant golf ball with like a eight, it's gotta be like four or five stories, tall screen, this amazing sound system inside. So my dad used to take me to these documentaries um, that were so loud that, when the movie would start, I'd have to like cover my ears and close my eyes because it was like too intense. Right. And uh, a lot of the documentaries back then were these amazing like NASA documentaries where they would send IMAX cameras up with shuttle crews. And right. that's like when I fell in love with space and films like sort of all at the same time. And then totally forgot about it for years and years and years until college. <laughs> and then and just started watching movies in college. Like when I was a kid, I used to go to like Blockbuster in the morning on a Saturday morning and just peruse the halls back and forth, like to find one movie and just take that home, that movie home with me and watch it. Um, But it was always like dabbling. I was sort of into it. But then college is when it really hit. And I went to art school and uh, 
I just wouldn't go to class. I would just go to the library because I found out you could take five movies out at a time for free. Hey. I was like, I don't have to pay for these. <laughs> right. Like, no. And I was like, okay. And I was, just, and like, that was like film education for me. Like, I watched five movies every three or four days for like a year. I never went to school. I just watched movies all the time. Um, and then I was like, well, I should get into film. And then I just started watching more and more and more film. And then I found Stanley Kubrick in like in college, like mm -hmm. most people do. And just fell in love with like his whole vision and his whole look. Um, and then at the same time, I took like an art, like a, a film class. And there's like these like four or five movies that I think actually in, are all in the criterion. So I won't li list them now and I'll bring them up if we ever cover them. Like which <laughs> one of these is like my solid, mm -hmm. like five starter movies that like really taught me about movies and film and that there was like real thought and intent put into it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I saw Brick. When it, in mm. theaters, I read an article and I went and saw Brick at this art house film, like film theater in downtown Toronto. And then after that movie, it opened up everything. You know, it's funny. I've talked to several people who have like credited Brick, uh, directed by Ryan Johnson, um, as like their intro into like indie movies and stuff like that. That's a funny thread. I've met a lot of people. It's it's who, so weird. I can way. like remember the moment I went to this to any Toronto-born person who ever ends up listening to this episode, I went to Sheridan College, and I can remember standing outside, like, the main entrance, and they had, like, an Exclaim magazine rack, which is, like, an, like a free arty newspaper zine thing in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And there was just this article. It was, like, kid from Third Rock from the Sun is going to be in this, like, uh, like art house, <laughs> like, uh, film noir thing right. with this amazing weird <laughs> language. And I was like, wow, that sounds fucking cool. Let's go. And so, and I went to see it and it blew, totally blew my mind. And like, yeah, and that sort of was like the second coming of stuff. Um, and then just college, obviously, like everyone else just consuming, consuming movies like mm -hmm. crazy. And yeah, I've never stopped. It's like my church. It's my church. Going nice. to the theater, RIP theaters uh, is like the, my <laughs> most favorite thing to do in the whole world. You kind of said you didn't want to tease them all, but are, how about two or three movies you're stoked to eventually talk about? Um from the collection for the show? I sort of realized the other day, my dad introduced me to two films when I was growing up. One mm -hmm. was Star Wars, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the other one was The Big Chill. Mm. And I just found out that The Big Chill is in the Criterion. I had I didn't realize. It is the most amazing, brilliant, lovely film, and I'm so stoked that it's in there. So I'm really excited to show it to you and like literally anyone else who will listen to me for five minutes to talk about <laughs> it. It's so good. It's so yeah, lovely. I haven't seen that like, yet. Amazing cast, uh, amazing script, just the most eloquent script. It's just you learn so much about all the characters involved and it's just them having real conversations. It's great. So good. Nice. Tell us your story, Ian. Tell us your film journey. I'm actually the only uh, American in this here podcast, which is great. We get two, two of my neighbors to the north uh, are here. We're international. You international. Know? <laughs> right. We are an international podcast from episode one. Um, so my grandparents used to own a Filipino like video rental store in the San Francisco Bay area. So movies are always like kind of like in my life. I never understood Tagalog until like <laughs> later in life, but I remember like always rent or like renting, taking these, these VHS tapes and like watching them, like all the comedies. And even if I didn't understand what they were saying, I would like laugh at what was happening on screen. Um, so that was like kind of like, I didn't really think about this until a couple of years ago, but I guess that's really like what got me into watching movies, like loving movies and stuff like that. And my, my grandpa, he would have me watch like James Bond movies with him all the time. So things like that. Um, and then kind of similar to you guys, you know, when I got into middle school, 
Um, I actually had a friend who was super like his brother was really his older brother was really into film. And we all thought he was a cool guy. So we all started like watching like all these movies. Yeah. Uh, and then I just saw like a whole bunch of movies I like should not have seen that young. Like I think I was like in sixth grade when I saw Clockwork Orange. Which I, is, like, okay. Yeah. Which is like super gnarly. Uh, but it totally like changed yeah. my game. Like I loved everything about it. Like, when I saw it, I was like, holy crap. Like, I don't know movies look like this. I had a movie did stuff like this. Yeah. I didn't get like how horrifying that whole movie was. Right. Like yeah. when I was watching sixth grade, I was probably like, Oh, like you're saying you're singing in the rain. That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, without like the complete context of what was going on. But regardless, that was it. Um, and there was no turning then, back. <laughs> yeah. There was no turning back. I like became obsessed with Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Um, and then I got into like a whole bunch of indie stuff, sort of things like a lot of people who are like dipping their feet into like indie. So I got yeah. like, Paul Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson and stuff like that. Uh, and then just kind of kept growing from there. I mean, it's kind of cool, actually, like what you said, though, but that you had just sort of recently put it together that that experience you had as a young kid it was your was your grandparents, mm-hmm. you said, had the, had the yeah, story. Yeah, like I remember that realization, like I'm a huge fan of like space and that sort of thing, but like and yeah. film. And it was so funny. One day I realized I was like, oh, man, for the first like f- seven years of my life, all I ever went to were ginormous movies about space, <laughs> you know, and like all of a sudden, like all the things that I love sort of like. Oh, that was like the starting point. I was so young. And it's so interesting that there is sort of like that one thing as a kid, that, that one experience or series of experiences at that young age that sort of like totally inform so much more about you than you realize. Yeah. And it's not until like you're much older where it sort of like kicks in. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. And then for me, some Criterion movies I'm stoked that we're going to talk about. Uh, I already talked about Paul Thomas Anderson. I've been on a massive Paul Thomas Anderson kick lately, so I'm stoked mm-hmm. to talk about um, Punch Drunk Love. Uh, there's Kubrick in there, but then I have Ooh. a confession for you two that uh, also involving space, also in the Criterion Collection. Oh, no. One of my oh, no. absolute favorite movies of all time, with no irony, like I truly love, love this movie, is Michael Bay's Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I stand. I and, stand. And part of me wanting to start this podcast is that I have an excuse to finally talk about it on record. Absolutely. Uh, so when we get there, it'll be a magic moment for me. I'm very excited. Uh, <laughs> this is your platform, Ian. Yeah. This is, is your time. This, this is, is your time, time to talk about it. Again, we're going to be talking about movies on the channel that are in the that are officially in the collection that are on the Criterion channel, the streaming service. Uh, we're going to talk about movies we want to add into the Criterion. So Speed some racer. of those episodes are going to come Speed up. Speed Racer as an yeah. example. And every Spike Lee <laughs> movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And every Spike Lee movie. Uh, we're going to get some guests on. So thanks everyone for listening to the first episode. It's going to be a ton of fun. Again, you can follow us on social media, Synonauts on Instagram, Twitter, or you can shoot us an email, Synonautspod at gmail.com. This is just the beginning, you know? That was the this time. The Get on board, start on our first mission, yeah. and just join us on this cru- <laughs> this amazing adventure we're going to be on. It's going to be great. Uh, so let's go. Let, let's start off hot. Uh, when we were discussing what our first episode should be, we all kind of landed on this one together, and we thought this is a one that's relevant, it's new, mm-hmm. and we all love it so much. This is... 2019's Parasite from director Bong Joon-ho. Uh, it was actually just added to the Criterion Collection, so it's actually number 1,054 in the Criterion Collection of 1,063. So it's fresh, brand new. I'm pretty sure the DVDs like just came out. With, a, with as usual, a, such a brilliant cover design with a Braille. Yeah, on a Morse code, so great. 
So let's take a journey not too far back. The year is 2019 here in the United States. Uh, at least we, I am well into the year three of Donald Trump's presidency. <laughs> <laughs> Things like uh, the class struggle between the ultra rich and everyone else seems to be more divisive than ever. That's been coming for a couple of years. There's Occupy Wall Street, uh, maybe 10 years prior to this. There's Bernie Sanders coming up in the 2016 election, sort of rising that up again to young, young people. And then now just becomes every more and more obvious that every decision Trump is making is just to help him and his rich cronies mm -hmm. uh, and, and not the people of the United States. So that's happening over here. Uh, over in South Korea, where director Bong Joon-ho is from, there's something similar going on with that, with class structure, uh, with like the serving class and the elite class. Uh, in film, by 2019, we had seen basically 10 years of like franchise dominance in the box office. Uh, I am no, mm -hmm. I, I don't hate franchises. I'm a big Fast <laughs> and Furious fan. <laughs> but uh, it became over the last decade, it was like original movies became less and less mm -hmm. likely to be seen in the box office. Biopics were winning in award shows. Things based mm -hmm. off books are winning in award shows. There were remakes and reboots, like everything. And then out of the dust, our man from Korea, Bong Joon-ho shows up with this one, a new masterpiece, uh, which is Parasite, which tackles like the complexities of class structure, not only in South Korea, but the themes are so universal uh, that it hits, you know, the United States, it hits Canada, it hits Western culture uh, all over the world. And it's just like a perfect movie for the perfect time. Um, and it's no surprise to me that Criterion felt the need to, you know, add it to the collection right away. It won big at the Academy Awards, which is amazing. It was the first South Korean movie to win best picture. Um, especially mm -hmm. after the Oscars, so white, uh, calls and Hollywood, so white calls, it was nice to get a really, a foreign yep. film coming out of it. So that is why, you know, I think we think it was a strong starter for episode Absolutely. one of Synonauts. Uh, but what are your initial thoughts on Parasite before we dig too deep into it? Boom. What's like your, what's your high level thoughts on Parasite? Well, kind of like what you were saying, it was just very new and refreshing I went into this film with literally no context of what it was. I kind of just went in blindly mm -hmm. uh, based on the poster. I thought I might be going into a horror film, um, which I guess on, on some degree it is. <laughs> right. um, I'm also a big fan of theater. And there's something about this film that kind of reads very theatrical, like play-like, if, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of... Fun to read that Bong Joon-ho, when he first started thinking about this movie, he um, was actually challenged by an act, a theater actor friend, to write a play. So that that mm. that was something fun for me. Yeah, I think it's like <laughs> I think because there's like so few actual sets. You know, there are only a handful mm. of locations, and they all play right. such a dominant like visual role into what you're seeing. That it's like you so easily could see it on a stage play. Yeah, like I did a little bit of theater, like directing and stuff in high school. And just every time I'm, I'm always like interested at movies that kind of do that where you're like, oh, I could definitely yeah. turn that into a play. Like I could. Mm -hmm. These are like five or six areas I could just build on stage and it would work perfectly. And I think you're totally right about that. Yeah, the set design. Yeah. Of pair. I mean, are, are you too familiar with with uh, Bong Joon-ho's other movies? Just the host. Memories of murder. Just the host. That's I, it. I, okay. I've seen Snowpiercer. Oh, and Snowpiercer, uh, uh, quite, yeah. Yeah, quite a while ago. I thought it was good, but it was uh, it was also a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, so versus the test. But Bong Joon-ho has such a way of like crafting his mm-hmm. messages and his stories and like putting and putting like such a universe in them. Like, you know, Snowpiercer obviously is such an extreme example where he literally like builds like what the future of Earth looks like with this train going around the globe. But Parasite, he still builds like a, a strong like world and reality for the Park family, for the Kim family, even though it's not a super like fantastical movie. Um, and it, he still like creates such a world. That I think a lot of that, the set design, like that house they're in, I like that, that could be the way they talk about the architect where it really doesn't matter like who the architect's name is, who this fictional architect is, but they give you like a background on it and it makes it, it makes it so immersive, yeah. right? It makes it feel so real. Yeah. I think oftentimes people talk about like wanting sort of like realism in films or like, oh, this, this didn't feel realistic or that didn't feel realistic. And I think what people are sort of like misusing that word, really great films like create a world and a language and a, a sort of place to play in. And if, mm-hmm. and, and strong directors have a grasp on what, how that world works and how that world functions. And you can mm-hmm. sort of like bend and stretch reality mm-hmm. as long as you're playing within the sort of the rules of the world that you're creating. And he does such a wonderful job at that in this movie. Um, just like con- having such great solid control over everything that's going on, including what the most amazing thing about like for me personally, just you were talking about like what what parts of this movie really stand out to you and what's the thing that you take away from it the most is like his ability to control tone is so fantastic and so I don't know depth is that a word like whatever that word is mm-hmm. it's worse it's just it's it's he's got mm-hmm. great fine control over everything that's going on and the tone is the absolute epitome of that in this movie where boom like you said it's like is this a horror movie well i guess it kind of is like at times like in the yeah. same scene <laughs> it's uh it's a sad family drama and a horror film and uh and a, com- <laughs> yeah. a comedy and a heist caper and it's all happening all at the same time it's, it's so incredible to- we're just taken to so many different places and it's just quite thrilling. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the two main families. So we have the Park family and the Kim family. Uh, the Park family are upper class business people. Uh, and the Kim family are people who live in what they're called sub basements. They're in this, you know, representing the lower class, uh, obviously in the film. So let's talk about the, the, the Kim family a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on them? Do you think they're, are they, are they villains? Absolutely not. Um, I think one of my, one of my favorite things about this movie is just kind of like the character study we get out of Mm it, um, and how all the characters are quite morally ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that the Kim family are villains. I think that they are just working to the best of their ability to kind of deal with the hand they've been dealt. Mm -hmm. No, I think uh, what you're saying is totally accurate and I think none of the characters in this film if you're looking at it from the at least from my perspective the way that the story is being told is none Mm -hmm. of them are villains because no one is really a villain in the story it's a matter of who has the power and when you get the power and it's not about it's not really about like rich people are bad and poor people deserve to have more money or something it's it's about power and the and what power does to people and it's that's that's the themes that he's working on because as you see quite mm-hmm. quickly when the kim family gets <laughs> that little bit of power you know once the 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 house the family that lives in that house when they're gone and you run into uh the uh previous house guest uh, not house guest the house uh, what's her what housemaid exactly she 
as soon as she shows up, they're like, I'm, we're the king of the castle and you're the dirt below us. Meanwhile, they're basically living exactly the same life uh, as of like t- three mm-hmm. hours ago, you know? So it's, it's quite interesting. Like it's not about, again, not being rich. It's just about mm-hmm. power and what power can do and how it's used to hold people down and keep people in their mm-hmm. place. The opening of this movie with the Kim family, I think is so cool. It sets up, like we we're talking about, like it sets up their world and, and, where we're going to be for the rest of the movie, like so quickly. Right. And they're like, so fun. They're so fun too. Like the energy in the room with them is so exciting. You like, you, you're like, even though you don't want to be in, the, in their situation, <laughs> you do sort of like want to be with them also. Right. And, and, and director Bong, he sets up so many things at the top of the film that come back in massive dividends, like throughout. And like, he doesn't like put it in your face. He kind of like lets you put it all together a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, something that comes out to me is like at the beginning of the movie, they are, um, you know, they're looking for extra work and they get a side job of flipping, of creating pizza boxes. And, you know, later when they finally uh, start slowly taking over the park family, all the making money, like they're eating in that pizza shop, which I think is such a cool little nod, right? Like they don't really address it. They don't even say like, let's go to that pizza shop that we couldn't afford before. Like they're, you know, they're just there and he's trusting the audience so much to do that. Um, are there any little little nods like that 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 you guys liked from from the movie or that stood out? I guess to you? the reoccurring thing that sort of like comes like to mind, which maybe you guys can help me out with. Actually, this would be a really great situation. The Rock. So The Rock obviously sort of like is a sort. Not that The Rock itself is sort of the inciting incident. It's like him. It's the bringing of The Rock and the gift, and then the sort of like introduction to the family. That's the inciting incident. But The Rock sort of like is the lucky thing. I guess it's like good luck or something. And it's sort of like, is this object that sort of finds its way throughout the movie and gets used for all kinds of like different things. And I never really, I could never really grasp like what is the rock? I remember at the beginning of the movie when Yoon uh, gifts the rock to the Kims um, and Ki Jong or sorry, Ki Woo is immediately like, thrilled and excited by it um and is just he likes has that line where he's like wow like that's so metaphorical (laughs) um and and you just see him kind of like putting a lot of like energy into to it if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. like I think in a way it it represents his aspirations Mm -hmm. to kind of like move up in the world and his wanting to um advance himself like we have we see him having these conversations about like how he can't get into college and and things like that no that makes total sense to me because the fact that he gets not killed but bludgeoned Bludgeoned with with his own Mm -hmm. aspirations is sort of like that just blew my mind apart a little bit like that's so smart like (laughs) again like you said like so much foreshadowing yeah and not just foreshadowing but so much great laying down the foundations Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the pieces and like letting them fall where they may, not where they may, but like control, like really controlling like everything about every aspect of the movie. We're going to place this rock here. We're going to give this thing meaning and we're going to use this thing later for something quite powerful. Oh, I was just going to say one thing that I really loved was the way that levels are used. It's just pretty outstanding. Like there's just this clear distinction of where everybody falls on this like social ladder of class. And everything we see in the film is like, feeding that to us even if we don't realize it 
Um, like one of my favorite parts of the film is when everything unfolds and the Kim family has to sneak out of the Parks house and they take this like long journey back, like this long descent back to their basement where everything is flooded um, and they're just like going downhill the entire time. And we see this like really wide shot of them coming down like this cement staircase to the underpass. And like the scene itself is like a minute but it's just like you feel like you've been following them forever. And it's just this like level of visual storytelling through through levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that scene in particular when they're running like to get to the flooding, like you see Kevin or Kiwu, he is standing at like the top of the stairs going down clearly to the neighborhood. And uh, the rest of the family had gone down already, but he's like kind of standing up there like clearly resisting. He doesn't want to go down yeah. like, to what he's been striving for. Uh, and then to get back to the rock, when he gets home, that's like what he saves. The whole house is flooded yeah. and he gets like this rock, which I think, boom, you hit right on the head. Like, I think it represents his aspirations and, you know, his his call, his smart college friend yeah. who has a girlfriend and, you know, he, <laughs> he gave him that. So yeah. I think that was like his sort of guiding light, whether it's for, you know, better or worse. Yeah. And, and it makes it like that. I think we're just introduced to Kiwi. Like he seems like he's very intelligent and he's got everything going towards him, but the the systems at large and like the powers that be are just kind of like restraining him. Like he's unable to break out of that cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think he sees it in, in himself, but he's just always working and like trying to figure out ways to get himself ahead. Kevin Kiwu, he's such a, he's such a cool character. Just like not even I mean, in the movie, yeah. obviously, but the way his like, they, they Bong Joon-ho shows how his mind and his sister uh, yeah. Jessica, how, how they work together is so well done. Um, you know, one of the, I think a really standout move in this movie is, you know, Bong Joon-ho shows how Kevin and Jessica, <clears throat> you know, infiltrate the park house. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into this like amazing montage where it shows how well, uh, how well like organized and in sync the Kim family is with, uh, Kiwoo's plan to get them all in there. And it's like a five minute montage or whatever, but like it works so well and it just shows you how clever they are and like conniving they are at the same time. And it's like, that's where you're sort of like, you know, at first it's kind of funny. It's like, okay, like I guess they sort of frame the original driver for like hooking up with girls in, in Mr. Park's <laughs> car. But then it gets like a little more gnarly when like Jessica yes. just like openly poisons the original oh. housekeeper, right? <laughs> like the, with the, like with the peaches thing and, you know, and, and so Bong Joon-ho takes this like very like sort of funny first act and sort of yeah. teases you a little bit. And he's like, actually, like, just hold up, like someone's going to purposely poison another person. And that's just like the start of this. Right. Um, mm. I mean, it's just so brilliant. So brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what's cool about that, like going, you know, with the world building that we just, as we keep talking, keep bringing up, it's like. Have they been like these are these guys are pros like <laughs> yeah. this is a this is a family of grifters or or con men con artists they all have like the role to play they all mm -hmm. have a specific job they are to do in this plan mm -hmm. but it is clear that like maybe not clear. i mean it, to me it seems clear like they've they've been doing this a long time like they were born and they must have been using their kids to get swindle people left and right. Like they've, <laughs> they've been a part of the con since they were born sort of thing. That's how it feels. Right. It's exactly like you said, Kevin, the situation where Kevin is, um, uh, what's it called when he meets his friend mm -hmm. and they go for drinks and he sort of introduces him to the park family that he's been working for them and that he needs someone to go over there to, 
deal with his girlfriend and teach her and all that stuff. And I, I totally missed it the first time I watched it, but watching it now again, like for the show, seeing his brain work, like Kevin's brain is yeah. on from the word go. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, absorbing information. How can I use this information to my advantage? And mm-hmm. he's doing it through the whole scene and you're getting a chance to see that is like really incredibly cool. Cause you're just like, wow, they are on, they, they're never not ready to con and then as soon as something, <laughs> yeah. as soon as something, not, not con, I feel bad about using that word because it's got such a negative connotation, but it's like th- the system is holding you down and everyone is only doing what they can with what they're given, yeah. like Boom said before. And so it's like, th- this is the way, this is the only way you're going to get a chance to move up is to be thinking totally. in this way. Otherwise you're just going to be washed away like everybody else mm-hmm. in that street, you know? Let's jump to the Park family for a little bit. So the second, Ooh. the other family is the Park family. So the Kim family is introduced to them by uh, Kevin Kiwu coming in as a t- English tutor for um, the daughter of the Park family. Um, and it's sort of set up like, you know, you're introduced to this mom who you can tell is clearly like, her heart isn't there or something like that. And that kind of sets up like the rest of the movie, right? Like she's kind of aloof. I mean, maybe she's too rich for her own good. I think, um, you know, the Mr. Kim says a couple of times, like they're too rich to, to even look at anything or understand anything. And that's clear from the second, like the Kim family interacts with them, right? Like, uh, whether it's Kevin teaching them English, uh, or, Jessica coming in and just totally baiting the mom with like this art painting and being like, you know, this, <laughs> this, this corner is the, whatever is the, you know, destructive. Schizophrenia zone. Yeah, schizophrenia zone. Like she freaks out. Like, how did you know that? I mean, you kind of feel oh. bad for her, right? Like she's not a bad yeah. person at all. Um, and I mean, they just are taking advantage. Like they know what kind of person yeah. she is and how they can do what they need to do. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on, the, on Mrs. Park and the rest of the Park family? The whole Park family is, um, they are, I'm trying to, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It's like, they are <laughs> victim by their own circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they, they are well to do. The kids aren't well, like they didn't choose that. Their parents are well to do. Mm-hmm. It seems to me it's Mr. Park's doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't, obviously there's no history on, in terms of like what Miss, who, what Mrs. Park's job was, but it doesn't seem to be much. And right. I don't know when that happened, but it's, you know, when everything is there and around and for you and you don't have to work so hard, you're not really working that hard, you know, and <laughs> both physically, but also with your brain, with your mind and you're, you're not stretching yourself. And so it's like when you've got such skilled con artists as the Kims, like <laughs> you are going to get taken advantage of. I think it's sort of not entirely your fault, but at the end of the day, like that's how the system works, too. You know, any thoughts on um on uh, Mr. Park? Boo? Yeah, well, he just had like he's a man of status Um and you just have all these people, like you see how the room changes, like when he enters a mm, room and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you have like Miss Park and the housekeeper like running behind him. And, and it, it's just like he has this air about him. In terms of like, like little details and they put it yeah. through, like, I think Mr. Park has a lot of like little things that kind of show like when Mr. Kim is doing his driver's test. And Mr. Park is just holding out his cup of coffee. How like, ridiculous. That says so much, right? Like he's not saying yeah. you need to be able to drive fast, you know, he or drives well. Like he's holding it there. And just more things again of like Bong Joon-ho really like capturing these people. Oh, so then the third family involved is the uh, is the original housekeeper and her husband who we soon find out. So 
the original housekeeper, she gets bullied out. Essentially they plant, like make it seem like she has tuberculosis. She knows the Kim family is on, <laughs> the park family's on vacation. She comes back and like the, that scene. And whenever I was watching, I kept wondering, like, you know, I had heard like, this is a wild movie. And up until that point in theater, I was like, all right, like I can, you know, I, I can see how maybe this can go. And then that door knocks when they're all like the, the Kim family is just like arguing and they're kind of have laughing the door doorbell rings. And then you just see the housekeeper like waving into the camera. Yes. I was like, she's like wet. She's yeah. wet. Her like glasses are kind of foggy. Like, and the, and it's like a fisheye lens, I think, or something. Cause yeah. her face just looks not Huge. good. Like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then they let her in saying, I left something in the, in the basement. And you're like, what do you mean left in the basement? And then it just has that shot of her going down into like to the complete yeah. black. Like, I was like horrified from that moment on. I was like, holy shit. Like what, what is going to happen here? It gets like ridiculous. It's kind of interesting. Like throughout the sort of right before that happens, there's this, like a lot of shots just have that black rectangle Mm -hmm. sort of like right in the center of frame where it's like nothing. It's the elephant in the room. Like Mm, there is something going on, but we're not going to talk about it, but there's there's a void here. Yeah. Like this air of mystery. That's just like looming over Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, and then the shot to go down, and it's like yeah, that it just keeps shots. going and going, and you're just like, wow, how deep are we going? Like, we're going right into hell. Like, we're going all the way. You know, it's like, it's just quite like, it's there's two or three more turns in there than I was ever expecting there to be. And then and you and you realize sort of, okay, there's something much deeper, mm-hmm. pun, <laughs> than, than you realize what's going on here. And I think that's cool. And then, like. I don't, I don't do puns very often, so I, I felt good about that. That'll be our first. I think that's our first pun of the of the yeah. show. Uh, that mo- that scene in particular also stands out to me because, like I, I said earlier, that the the Kims you can tell they're a little, you know, are they just taking advantage of these people? That's fine, whatever. They're gonna live off their money. The parks don't need it anyway. But then it takes like a very like sinister turn uh, because they like, you know, beat up the housekeeper. Yeah. They tie them up and sort of essentially like torture them for like a you know, a good amount of, of, of the sequence. Um, Ugh, yeah, pretty, pretty horrifying stuff. But, uh, again, like boom, you were saying, I mean, it's sort of like, is it because of their circumstance? Like, is it, or is it catcher? Like, you know, they had their little bit of power, so they're going to take it cause they're not going to lose what they had been working for. Right. Yeah. Well, this is definitely where power comes into play because it's just in that moment and they could have easily just, kind of work together and Mm -hmm. sorted it out Mm -hmm. and then the movie would be over. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But but then you just kind of see how there's just no room for that, right? Um, And I think that's one thing that Bong Joon-ho is really good at capturing. Like he speaks a lot about how we all live in this world, uh, mm. uh, which which is capitalism and, and things like that. It's just like how intensely we kind of like play into the into these ideas and just really disregard our neighbor. It's mm. things like does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just a matter of there is a game being played, and it's not you know it's not in capitalism's fault. So, you know, it's like it is just the system in with which we live. You can either choose to play the game or not. And that's fine. There are people who can successfully not play the game. But when the game is so tantalizing and when everyone is pushed, when when that kind of life, that be- bigger than what you've got life is the thing that everyone's pushing on you all the time. And that's what you want to get. And 
You don't want to live in the sub-basement. No one wants to live in the sub-basement. Everyone wants to live in the fancy house, right? And and by that, I mean the metaphor, right? You don't don't want to be the person under someone's thumb. Mm -hmm. You want to be the person putting your thumb down on someone else because you're either one or the other, you know? And that's the system that I think he's constantly challenging and discussing in this film, you know? Mm -hmm. And that scene is perfect because it's like, you've seen how poorly this family has been treated. Yeah. And you've seen... You will see, you know, shortly what they will have to go back to now that they've got this power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so their reaction, which is like, which totally makes sense to me, which is I've got a little bit of this now and I'm not willing to give it up for anybody Mm -hmm. because it will be taken from me any minute now. And again, it does quite, quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and that like commentary on like the social and economic and power dynamics, I think is most shown yeah. between Mr. Kim and Mr. Park. Yeah. Um, and in that scene right afterwards, like they, they address a couple t- Mr. Park addresses a couple times about how, you know, people, poor people smell bad. People who ride the subway smell bad, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment there where, uh, you know, the Kims are trying to escape the house uh, mm. and they're all hiding underneath the, coffee table, which is like a hilarious moment. Like they're crawling all over the house, hiding, uh, the, the park family kid, the kid is setting up a tent outside. Uh, <laughs> the parks start like hooking up on the couch, like right next to them. And it's always like kind of like absurd, like pretty hilarious moments. Yeah. And then like, it just turns so sour and not even like in a scary way, but just how like Mr. Park kind of realizes he smells like a lingering scent of Mr. Kim, not realizing that he's there but he's just like Mr. Kim, you know, he has a smell and then the camera sort of pans over and it's just the two Kim kids, you know, Jessica and, um, what's his name? Jessica and Kevin, like laying there next to their father and her, you know, he's just sitting there like looking like he's about to cry. And then it's like that moment you're like, man, you feel so bad for him. And Bong Joon-ho just makes you forget that they literally just like tied some guy up to a pole downstairs who had yeah, like knocked unconscious this woman by kicking her down like four flights of yeah. stairs also. And yeah. you know, it's just like, Oh God, Bong Joon-ho, he's just so good at, at really balancing out the stories of these people that well, makes sim- him hard. Sympathy. Yeah. It's creating sympathy and empathy for all of the characters. Yeah. Because, again, because it's not about, it's not about them because they're all us. We're all trapped in the system. Like oh, we're all working within it. And so it's like, there isn't mm-hmm. one, Especially not in this case. These are people are not people to blame. They mm-hmm. are just people. They are just cogs in the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and this cog in the wheel hits its finale at a, a birthday party for the Park child. And <sighs> that birthday is so funny to me. Like I, they get rained out, so they have to come back um, yeah. from like their camping trip. And while like you know the mom is saying the camping trip, oh like thank God for the rain. Like we don't have to go camping that same rain. Like completely ruined the Kim's house and life. Like they're literally in a gymnasium, like getting clothes and stuff like that. But the, the parks are having this birthday party for a kid where it's like themed like, uh, cowboys and, and, and native Americans. And then they have like an opera singer and all sort of stuff. And then it's just like, it's just like another flex of like how little they're paying attention that the, Kim's are all completely like distraught. Their life is destroyed and they're just like dressing Mr. Mr. Kim up. He has like a bandana on and you know, they're like bringing up and uh, Jessica's bringing out a cake. It's just like all these things that like, if you just paid attention, you could have avoided what is about to happen to you. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing that sort of like really blew my mind watching it again, like sort of piecing that together, which was like, yeah, that rain, that rain that floods the streets and floods the Kim's house, like that rain ruins all these people's lives. Yeah. And that rain just sent them home early from a camping trip. Like you said, like that's that to me was like how great uh, another uh, another great vis- uh, sort of storytelling example of all the th- bringing the themes up again and again mm-hmm. the themes are constantly informing the story mm-hmm. constantly informing the action how things are progressing and ever and again it's just the director owning at his job <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> doing exactly what a great director does which is controlling all the elements and making sure all the elements are playing together and yeah, that's so beautiful. And like you said, it's it's that total lack of connection between these two families that ends us where we get to, which is pretty crazy, pretty yeah. violent. Pretty pretty violent, pretty horrifying. Um, yeah. Boom, what are your thoughts on the finale scene? It's the first time you have all three of the families coming into play. Mm. I, like, I did not notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's like, true. Yeah. Like first and only time and then... Like in that moment, like the truths of the situation are just kind of revealed to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this whole movie is just like a perfect crescendo, like up into that moment. Like it, even though it's absolutely horrific, it's it's one of my <laughs> it's one of my absolute favorite parts. Yeah, um, and totally. and yeah, and and it just and I think that was the moment that I was just like. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's funny. When I, the first time I watched this in theater, I had like a little bit of trouble being like, okay, like, I think I'm getting it. This is a very dense movie. Like, I think I'm yeah. understanding all the concepts, but actually, what really like clicked for me was, you know, for this finale sequence, the original housekeeper's husband, he, tr- he kills a bunch of people because yep. he's at the bottom of the level and then he gets stabbed at some point. He's dying. And then at the same time, Jessica gets stabbed. And so you kind of see like, okay, Mr. Kim is trying to help his daughter and he's Mm -hmm. like, there are a couple of times in the start to backtrack, but there's a couple of times in this scene where I think he tries giving Mr. Park like a couple of chances to be like, dude, just like talk to me like a human for one second. Like when they're behind the bushes before they do the pop-up, how how, like Mr. Park's like, you can tell he's a little embarrassed and Mr. Kim goes, you know, this is work. Like you have to do this. Right. Yeah. So like, like, like you're Mr. getting paid extra. Yeah, you're yeah. getting paid extra, right? Yeah. And Mr. Kim, I think right there he could have been like, hey, if you don't want to do this, you're good. And I think Mr. Kim was giving him that out there. And then a second time when Jessica's dying and Mr. Mm-hmm. Kim, I mean, to be fair, uh, Mr. Park's wife, I think, had also gotten hurt at this point in time as well. And Mr. Park is oh no, the kid. And Mr. Park is asking, because the kid has a seizure, and Mr. Park is asking for the keys to his car from Mr. Kim. Mr. Park steps over the dead bodies to grab the keys and doesn't say anything. And that's what triggers Mr. Kim to kill Mr. Park eventually. And like Mm -hmm. at that moment when I was watching in theater, I was like, holy shit. Like, it's so cool how at the end of the day, Mr. Park (laughs) just didn't respect people who he didn't think he had to respect. And that was like his ultimate downfall. And all Mr. Kim wanted was just an ounce of respect. Just anything, even like like the most humanistic response to be like, is your daughter okay? And he didn't get that. And that's what sets it off. I mean, it's such like beautiful storytelling interesting thing about that is just like this um about respect is you see multiple times so the other two so the the kims and then that the house um maid's husband Mm -hmm. you see the ways that they 
kind of like look up to the parks mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and their family. Like you have that moment when things are going really well for the Kims and they're all um, back at home and they're having a good night. And he's like, we've got this like bounteous Wi-Fi, like things are going good for us. And Mr. Kim has this moment where he's, he, I think he's like, thank you, Mr. Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then fast forward to that scene in the, in the basement when you have the, the husband who's like tied up and literally like bashing his head against the the light switches which to, is such to, a cool moment like i love yeah. how like he thinks it's automatic lights on the steps but it's actually him queuing yeah. it up anytime anyway go on i, I love that part yeah. yeah no it's absolutely hilarious because you have these people like live literally living below your house that you're just so unaware of yeah. and you're going about your he's going about his day and he thinks that these like motion censored <laughs> lights are just something that like came just a fixture that came along with the house. Like they're just so indifferent and unaware um, of the world around them. And I think it's just this interesting commentary of like how the values and beliefs of like the ruling class kind of infiltrate our lives or like, Mm. and, and then they, like we take them on as our own, even though they don't benefit us in any way, shape or form. You see that playing a lot playing out a lot in this movie and and it's just so interesting and that the idea that when these two groups like boom you said this is the first time the three families get together right this mm-hmm. is the 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 this is a situation where all people are affected yeah. right and it's what and what happens when these groups come together and a lot of times it's it becomes violence yeah. right because what do you expect you know and and this goes you know to obviously um, the protests and some of the rioting that happened earlier this year and yeah. what mm-hmm. we've seen in the past where people are like, oh, why are you, why are you breaking things and why are you smashing this? And it's like, what do you mean? Why? Why aren't we yeah. doing this every single day? You know? Yeah. And, and the idea that, um, yeah, that there are consequences to creating this sort of dynamic mm-hmm. and, Oftentimes it means it's violence because what you're doing is applying small levels of violence every day Mm. onto these people and that builds up over time and then it explodes. And that's what happens when, if he very, like you said, all he had to do was recognize Mm -hmm. his daughter was also injured. Quick, get her in the car with me. Let's go to the hospital. And that's it. When those dynamics are created by the people that are involved with them, those are the outcomes you're going to get. Who is the parasite here? Does it go both ways? Is it one to the other? I'm going to say based on, well, it's definitely both, but based Mm -hmm. on how 2020 is going, I'm going to say the rich. (laughs) (laughs) 2020 is the birthday party of the world. You know, that's what's (laughs) happening right now. (laughs) We we are living in the final scene of Paris. Yeah, exactly. Catch. What about you? What do you think? Um, it's funny because I was reading, doing a little bit of research and um, it was Bong Joon-ho's recommendation to call it Parasite and he really had to sell it to like the marketing people. Mm. Mm. And the way he sold it was like, they're both parasites. Mm-hmm. Don't you get it? It's like the bo- the top guys are also, are paras- like are pulling off the people at the mm-hmm. bottom mm-hmm. and then they're also leeching off the people above them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think for, in his mind, like, in this film, like Parasite is just because he doesn't want to choose sides, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like 
parasites are just the people leeching. Mm. It's it's the it's yeah. the people you know powers leech has to leech its power from somewhere, and those that's that's what it is. The parasite is power. I love the that. Parasite is power. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's our tagline for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The answer is both of them. The answer is both of them. That was a heady answer, but the answer is both of them, right? Like it's it's there. Everyone is involved is parasiting from somebody. Mm. Parasiting. That's a weird word. Paras- yeah. Parasitic. Paras- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of all of our main discussions here, uh, we're going to choose a, our criterion moment, which is we're all going to choose a scene or a moment uh, or a sequence from each movie as to why we think uh, it's in the criterion collection or featured on the channel or why we think it should be for movies that aren't in there yet. So uh, let's go with our criterion moments. Who wants to go first? I had a few <laughs> and I know we're only supposed to make one. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I pared it down and <laughs> I've decided, okay, what makes... Okay, this is the Criterion moment, right? So what makes something in the Criterion versus just on a regular DVD release? What <laughs> makes you pull, right? You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, why makes it, what makes it important? What makes it something worth talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided that the scene with the maid coming back mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. revelation of what's happening um, below yes. the house, to me, is the Criterion moment because it goes from being what we what you sort of talk about on the service level of this movie, which is like rich poor, which is mm-hmm. okay. They're the poor ones. Uh, the Kim family is the poor ones. The parks are the rich ones. And that's the dynamic and rich, bad, poor, not good, but you know, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, the, and uh, the introduction of the maid and her husband sort of creates this three way dynamic where then you do get the introduction of the Kims stamping their thumb down. And now, now who's got the power and now that dynamic is what really makes the movie more than just like a rich, poor thing. It makes it so much more universal mm-hmm. um, because it is about just power and what power can do in, the, in that. So, yeah, for me, pff, that's the scene. Yeah, that's the, the scene. I had a massive like, oh, shit moment in theaters when that happened. I, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boom, what about you? So just going off of what Ketra was saying, I absolutely love that moment as well. Um, and I know at the beginning of this episode, I was talking about how this the way the story kind of plays out reminds me of a play. And that that moment is like the moment before intermission Mm -hmm. where everything just gets fucked up. And then you, (laughs) and and then you go out for a cigarette and you're just processing and then you come back and then see what happens. So I never caught that. So true though. That's exactly (laughs) right. That's exactly when you'd get that sort of like, Oh, and the lights come on. You're like, Whoa. And you're just like, Oh no. What's next? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Wow, yeah. Um, and I would say my criterion moment, I've already um, spoken about this in a very excited manner, is the birthday party scene. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes the cake for me. Like I said before. <laughs> Sorry, that was very funny. I didn't even realize. <laughs> Anyways. That's very good. Um, yeah, no, like I said before, you have like all three of the families coming into play and just like, the, the parasite is power and they all lose. Um, and it's just, it's just horrific. And it's just very, it's kind of like when the veil is just like taken, mm-hmm. taken off and, and you just see everything for what it is. Everything becomes so clear in that moment. Um, and yeah, so that is, that is my criteria moment. Ian. Ian, what's your, what's your, yeah. what's your guy? My moment dun, I, also, dun, dun. <laughs> I also talked about earlier was, is, is the montage, the, the Kim takeover montage. I think yes. it's like such, it's such a flex of Bong Joon-ho, that whole scene. Like it's so perfect. It's such a perfect montage. The music, 
Yes. How smooth, like the movement of the camera the whole time, how well the plan works, how much all the uh, mini payoffs are in there. I mean, it's just. It's, it's a mini heist film. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right in the, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's a five minute heist movie and it's awesome. And it's so good. That movie, that part when I was watching, I was like, this is so sweet. Totally. Um, and all like the act, even the acting in that part so good, the way Mr. Kim, when Mr. Kim and Kevin are like tr- practicing his speech that he has to give, he's like, he's like, no, no, you're overdoing it. You're overdoing it. I mean, it's just so cool. Um, yeah, that moment for me when I was watching that, I was like, oh yeah, this, this is a special movie. Do you know what I also love about that moment is like when Ki Jung, the, the sister, when she takes the peach mm-hmm. and just kind of like throws yeah. it up into the air. And I don't know, I don't know who your favorite characters are, but she's a hundred percent my favorite character. The way she moves through this like reality, like this world that's been created is just mm-hmm. so interesting to me. Like, why do you guys think she is the only, like why she was the one who died, like of the, of the Kim family? Hmm. Mm. Mm. Let me think about that. I actually hadn't thought about that really. Now I'm like, okay, why does all of those things happen? Yeah. Why is she the one that gets it? Is that's like quite an interesting question, right? Because like everyone has a sort of purpose and plan yeah. and thing. So what's the, that vibe? That's interesting. I don't know. So you see a lot of struggle happening within the family. Like even though like they're, they're brilliant geniuses and everything, the plan for a while is going off without a hitch, but then you just see them all kind of having their own internal struggles. Like you see Kiwu and he's kind of like at the, before the birthday party scene, like he's kind of just, he's like, um, I don't belong here. Yeah. He's like, do I belong here? And then you have Mr. Kim who's going on this having this like existential crisis, but then the whole time Ki Jung is just kind of like good. Do you agree or no? The thing that sort of hits me at first is like, she's sort of, even though they're all conning, she seems to be the one that's really good at lying. Mm. Like she's the one that forges documents, right? Mm -hmm. She is her of all of the people involved. She's the one with the most performance. Mm -hmm. Like she is this, woman who went to like Illinois and then came back and she's an art person and she's like she her whole thing is at least with Kevin he's teaching her things yeah like her thing is all a scam totally more so than the rest of everyone else's jobs and she maybe and she sells it so well and I think like the Park family kind of like envisions her like she's this like prestigious character and and I I, uh, and because she, she's not maybe because she's lying like she's yeah. lying and you can't be allowed to get like get yourself up mm-hmm. and so she's succeeding more than the rest of them yes. at being able to fake it and then that's why she's got to be taken out because and there's no even one that, can move up I don't know the one scene when the family's in the in the living room after the parks are out for the camping trip and they're in the living room like drinking and uh, Kiwu kind of like makes that snooty comment about how she just like fits in so well mm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i don't know sorry that was i sidebarred but no, no don't apologize because this sidebar is why this podcast um is gonna be great um if you have any thoughts on why you think jessica is the only member uh, of the kim family to die shoot us an email and we'll talk about it next week uh, at synonotspod at gmail.com But now let's move on to the final section um, of our podcast. Before we wrap, we're going to choose another film, maybe album, book, TV show that you would pair uh, this film with for people who want to do a double feature or or what what is a match for it. 
Uh, boom, you seem excited. What's what's your what's your pick? Oh, yes. I'm very excited about this part of our show. Um, so for my pairing, I'm choosing the 1996 classic, Set It Off. <laughs> <laughs> Set It Off. Um, the bigger themes of this film are very similar to Parasite, which is capitalism is messed up and it's really hard to get ahead. So Set It Off is kind of exploring these themes through the lens of black feminism, Mm -hmm. uh, which really resonates with me, obviously. Um, So we have these four black women who find themselves helpless at the intersections of like race and sexism and classism. And then they take matters into their own hands and decide to rob banks. So it's a lot of fun. Um, It stars Jada Pinkett, Queen Latifah, Kimberly Lease, and Vivica A. Fox. And it's also just incredible storytelling, much like Parasite. So check it out. Catch, what about you? What's what's your pairing? Uh, I was uh, I, I was like struggling, and then I was trying to figure out, okay, what about it? Do I like about this? And what I really love about this movie is the like the visual storytelling, but also how like a sort of oppressive the world can be, and how much like the physical world has effects on the people around them. Like mm-hmm. it's so. He's, he tells their struggle through their environment. Um, and so I was like, oh, environment. Okay, that's interesting. So I recently, once like COVID hit, I was like watching a bunch of old movies. Obviously, I had a bunch of free time. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen The Last Picture Show. It stars Jeff Bridges. And uh, it's just about how like small town it, um, and how small town life sort of um, makes you want to achieve more and get out and get more and just become something, but how also small town can sort of like at the same time, make that almost impossible for you to do and sort of the environments in that movie, it's a black and white movie, but just like, it's so oppressive. Like it feels like the town is sort of crumbling around the people and it's taking them all down with them. And so that sort of like visual storytelling, I think fits perfectly with this. So last picture show. Ian? Yes. My pairing, a little different. My pairing (laughs) is right now, if you have heard anything about Korean pop culture, you are aware of K-pop, you're aware of BTS, you're aware of Blackpink, et cetera. Oh my God, I'm such a blink right now. (laughs) (laughs) Who who am I, Boom? Who was I did the test the other day? I have no idea who any of these people are. I guessed you were dead on, didn't I? Yeah, you did, but do you remember who it was? I I think you were Jisoo. Yeah, so was, how about that? I was like, I was like, catch or take this test. <laughs> I was like, I think you're a Jisoo and I need to know for sure. <laughs> uh, well, that fits in perfectly. Yeah, so my, my, my match is go check out a BTS or a Blackpink music video, see a little bit more of Korean culture, South Korean culture, and then make sure you head over to basically any tweet that Kanye West has put out in the last couple of weeks uh, or Donald Trump Ooh. and just see him get ratioed by uh, BTS and Blackpink stands. And it is pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just gives uh, another side to South Korean culture that people may not be familiar with. Uh, and that is my pairing. Go do that. Is K-pop saving America? K-pop could be saving America. <laughs> K-pop and TikTokers. Uh, awesome. So before we wrap, what are our star ratings here? Scale of one to five. That's five for me. I mean, that's for sure. Five. That's a five. That's a five for me. That was easy. Yeah. Yeah, for that was sure. Easy. I'm looking forward to when we 
argue and, and do not agree on yeah like someone <laughs> gives too. a one and someone gives a five yeah. and then the rest of the episode is just yelling <laughs> in arguments yeah exactly uh, fives all around absolutely no drama there listen let's, let's start the first it's the it's our first mission you know we're gonna we're, let's keep it cool keep it we're gonna do something fun and exciting that everyone can get involved with and we can get the drama in later exactly yeah. folks that was the end of our first episode i think that went pretty well catcher boom what do you think I think it went swimmingly. I was just going to say that. Get out of my head. That is, I agree totally. And I'm, this is just the, the beginning. This is yeah, just the beginning. It is. No, I'm so, I'm so excited about this. I think it's going to be fun. And I hope people watch along with us. Yes. From week do. to week. Yes. And uh, if you want to watch along with episode two, Catcher, what is going to be episode two pick? <laughs> We're going to be doing... It's that time. It's that season. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's that time of the year. We're going to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I've never seen it. This podcast is going to be a chance for me to watch all these movies that I've never had a chance to watch before. So this is going to be very exciting. So it's, yeah, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974, the original. It's available on the Criterion channel right now. So it is, yeah. Or you can rent it elsewhere. But if you're a member of the Criterion channel, go there and watch it. Um, and then if you want to shoot us an email about the first episode, have any thoughts about that or about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, shoot us an email at cinenotspod at gmail.com. Follow us on social media, Cinenots on IG and Twitter. And we will see you guys all next week. Woohoo! Bye-bye.